state you're in as you're coming here. Uh, I know a lot of people are starting to get really stressed out about school. Um, and, and for that reason, uh, I'm especially thankful that you're here because uh, I know there's a million other things you could be doing. There's a million other things you could be working on. Uh, and so we hope that your time here uh, really is an encouragement. Uh, and really what we're doing here at Large Group every single week uh, is trying to help you facilitate, facilitate the growth in faith wherever you are. If you're like here and you're like, I don't know, I know nothing about Christianity. I know nothing about Jesus. Uh, I just know my friends go to church and go to this RUF thing. We want to meet you where you are in that. And we want to meet you if you've been going to church since you were a little baby and you got baptized. Uh, and we believe the best way to get anyone to facilitate where, where they are in that process is to look at God's word. Uh, because that's where God speaks to us. That's where we meet him and see, most importantly, who Jesus is and his grace and beauty. And so we've been doing that through the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians, Paul's letter. And tonight we're going to be looking at uh, Philippians 1, 27 uh, through 2, uh, verse 4. We're actually we're dipping in to verse 2. We're finally getting into, or chapter 2, finally getting into chapter 2. So... If you want to turn there uh, or look there in your bulletin, I'll uh, read that for us and pray and we'll begin digging into it. So Philippians 1, 27, starting there. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We pray for us. Father, we thank you once again that you are God who speaks, that you have spoken to us uh, in so many ways uh, through your word and even more through sending your Son. And we pray that you uh, would send your Holy Spirit to breathe new life into us, um, to come and renew our hearts and make us whole, that we pray that your word would come alive in us tonight, uh, that you would, through that work, faith in us to see um, the, the realities that are often visible, invisible to our eyes, um, but are often more real than what we can even see. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, where are you proud to say you belong to? And, and how does that, that thing, that place you belong to shape your life? Right? Maybe you're really proud to be here at Wofford. Uh, I, that could be for a variety of reasons. Your parents went here. Uh, you just like Wofford and the school and the academic reputation and other things about it. Uh, well, along with that, along with that life here at Wofford, there's certain expectations. There's a manner of life. I think is, this is happening at the beginning of the semester. Everyone has to like go and sign this honor code thing, and it's like a big ceremony. I thought I saw something on Instagram about that. So you have that. Uh, you got to do that when you come in, and that shapes how you view your life here. Uh, you obviously spend a lot of time in the library or Milliken. Uh, you go to the row and shag, which I really wish you guys would choose a different word for that. Like, I'm, work on that and come back to me, and then we'll propose it to offer. Change that. Um, but maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe that doesn't hit the spot for you. Maybe there's something else. Uh, maybe, you, you know, like Lee, Lee Greenwood, if you guys know who that is. Maybe you're just proud to be an American. Maybe you're uh, proud uh, of your own. <laughs> uh, maybe you just love the hometown that you came from um, and the way of life there. And that has really shaped who you are, uh, how you live, how you speak, uh, how you treat others. I think all of us have a desire to belong somewhere to some place that we're proud of and we want to identify with and we want to shape our lives. And and, and that was definitely the case for the Philippians in the context of this letter. Uh, The Philippians had a lot of pride in their town of Philippi because of how it was founded and kind of its history. Philippi was famous because it, it was the place where Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius. Those guys that assassinated Caesar, if you know that history. Uh, and after that, many of the victorious soldiers from that, from that battle ended up settling there, and they, and they established Philippi as a Roman colony. Uh, and Philippi had this really huge privilege that was unusual for a city that far from the capital. It, it was governed by Roman law. It was, they tried to make it a little Rome. Everything about the city, the layout, the style, the architecture, they were wanting it to be Rome. And so the, the Philippians, there's a lot of evidence in this letter and elsewhere that they, they were really proud of that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But what Paul wants the Philippians to see, uh, what he wants us to see, is that there's an either, even greater country that we can belong to with an even greater way of life. Uh, and if you're wondering, where, where is Oliver getting this from the text? Um, well, it's a, it's a little bit obscured, especially if you're using the ESV here. I actually disagree with the ESV's translation. Uh, but the, the word that's translated, it's just one word. Uh, it's translated, translated, let your manner of life be. It's polituomai. What do you hear in that? Politics. And, it, and that's there. This word has national political Overtones. Paul's signaling what he's going to tell the Philippians explicitly later in the letter, in chapter 3, that their citizenship is in heaven. There was, there was a British historian uh, named Tom Holland, I mean, he's still alive today, and he has a book that he, I think he wrote a couple years ago called Dominion, and it's basically about the rise of Christianity, especially in the early church, and how 
uh, has had such a profound influence just on Western civilization as a whole. And he writes this. He says, I am a Christian. So a prisoner from Vienne arrested in 177 replied to every question put to him by his interrogators. Rather than tell them his name or where he had been born or whether he was slave or free, he had instead repeatedly insisted that he had no status save that of a follower of Christ. Such stubbornness to his judges was baffling as well as infuriating the refusal of Christians to identify themselves as belonging to one of the familiar peoples of the earth, the Romans or the Greeks or the Jews, branded them as rootless, just as bandits and runaways were. Their delight in posing as aliens, as transients, made a boast out of what should have properly been called a cause of shame. And yet for all that, Christians did believe they belonged to a common ethnos, a people. The bonds of their shared identity spanned the world and reached back across generations. When the martyrs of Lyon and Vienne embraced death for the sake of their Lord, they knew themselves bound in fellowship with others who had suffered a similar fate. In Jerusalem, in Asia Minor, in Rome, they knew themselves as well to stand in a line of descent from those martyrs who had gone before them, Polycarp, Ignatius, and Paul. They knew their citizenship to be that of heaven. Never before had there been anything quite like it. A citizenship that was owed not to birth, nor to descent, nor to legal prescriptions, but to belief alone. And it's this citizenship, this way of life that flows, and the way of life that flows from it, that Paul's really calling us to consider in this text this evening. And we see... Here in particular, that connection to Christ, our theme this semester, calls us into a heavenly citizenship that can give us unity in the face of external and internal opposition. That that connection to Christ calls us into a heavenly citizenship that can give us unity in the face of external and internal opposition. Becoming a Christian is much more than just getting your fire insurance, getting your get-out-of-hell-free card. It's becoming a citizen in a new country with a whole new way of life. And again, we're going to look at that through two angles, unity in the face of external opposition and humility in the face of internal opposition. So first, let's consider uh, the, the unity in external opposition. So the fact is, when you join one team, when you become a part of one country, you're going to experience opposition from others. I mean, if you, you became a Wofford student here, uh, it means, uh, at least out on the field, that Furman is going to be rooting against you. That's just the nature of it. Joining one kingdom means there's going to be opposition from another kingdom. And this is especially true of Christians because the kingdom of God is an alien kingdom here on earth. The church is like this embassy in a country that does not share the goals and the agenda of heaven. I mean, that's how Paul, he describes salvation that way elsewhere. Uh, in, in Colossians, he writes that the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And yet we remain in a world that, that lies 
in the power of the evil one still. That that domain of darkness, even though we've been transferred out as, uh, out of it, it's still around us. Uh, even though Satan has been fatally wounded in Jesus' person and work and what he accomplished on the cross, he's still in the world raging against the people of God and the kingdom of Jesus until Jesus returns. And the, the Philippians would have experienced that for sure firsthand. Um, like all subjects of the emperor in ancient Rome, they would have been pushed into being part of the imperial worship of Caesar. To say just that Jesus is Lord, I think we miss how political of a statement that was back then. You were, you were only supposed to say Caesar was Lord. And the Romans, they were fine with everyone's religious activities as long as they didn't come into conflict, as long as they didn't supersede Caesar. And yet many Christians were not willing to back down from that, and so they lost a lot. Now, Jewish Christians as well were driven from their homes, had their position, possessions taken from them by their fellow Jewish people that did not believe in Jesus just for confessing Jesus was the Messiah. And that's what we see actually in Acts 15 with what happens when Paul first shows up at Philippi. Uh, basically, he, he's there and uh, he ends up casting out this demon from this girl and the people there are really upset because they had made money. Basically, she would fortune tell and do things like that. Uh, and they take Paul and Silas to the magistrates and they say, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And then the crowd beat them and threw them in jail. The, the two kingdoms were bumping up against each other. And so Paul here in this passage, is he's, he's talking about don't be frightened in anything. He's not being over dramatic. There, there were good reasons for the Philippians to be frightened. And there's good reasons for us to be frightened today. I, I think this is why, you know, recently a lot of Christians have been really concerned and bothered as they, as they see Christianity losing its influence, not having the same status that it's had, especially in America uh, in recent years. We're afraid. This is where we're headed, that we're going to be attacked or, or thrown in prison for what we believe. But I think even more than that, so many of us fear People looking down on us if we admit that we're Christians, if we admit that our Christianity actually changes things about the way we live. Uh, we fear not getting certain jobs or not getting access to the inner rings of society. We fear just missing out on life because of following Jesus. And, and some of us were really aware of that, but I think other of us, we, we kind of try to hide this reality. and We're often surprised when it pops up. We're so conflict adverse uh, that we just want to pretend this, this doesn't exist. And we, we can't even really handle the fact that there might be people out there that don't like us. Um, we want to try to you know, be as nice and winsome as possible and cater to everyone and apologize if, if anything goes wrong. And, and maybe just kind of hide certain parts of our Christian faith that you know, are specially offensive. And the, the last thing is we, we would want to seem is rigid or like one of those crazy fundamentalist Christians. But Paul is trying to get us to see that that's not the way to find joy in life. You don't need everyone to like you to find joy in life. 
An opponent-free life is not necessarily a joyful life. Rather, a joyful life is found in having people who can stand with you in one mind and one spirit and lovingly contend together for the beautiful message of the gospel. It is the redemption and life that is found in Jesus. So the question is, do you have those people? Like, who, who, who will stand with you when you find everyone around you is either apathetic about Jesus, is just distracted and letting so many other things consume their mind, or, or just straight up encouraging you to sin? What about when you see that within your own heart? You need to have people in your life that have the same mindset that are seeking after Jesus too. And if you don't have those people, find them. Like reach out to me, reach out to other people in RUF. I mean, this is why we, large group is not everything about RUF. Small groups, one-to-ones, so many other things about what we do are necessary to living the Christian life. And, and if you don't pursue those things, the opposition will crush you. You may even find yourself assimilating into that very opposition and becoming it yourself. There's no standing firm by yourself. We can't live the Christian life solo. Opposition from the world, from within our own sinful flesh, will overtake us. But if we find those we can stand with, we'll not only survive, we'll actually thrive. We might even see the suffering and opposition that we're experiencing not as just something to be dealt with, but as a gift. That's actually the language that Paul uses here when he says it's been granted to you to suffer. You could also translate that given, graciously given to you by God. Uh, If you get me talking about uh, TV shows, you'll discover that one of my favorite shows of late is Ted Lasso. I know a few people are watching this. Sorry, Dory, I may, you know, there's a little bit of spoilers here, but it's not real bad. It's like, it's just a mini thing. You'll still enjoy it when you watch it. It's been out long enough. You know, if a show's been out a couple years and people haven't watched it and I talk about it, it's kind of on everybody else. But um, anyway, the show, if you haven't heard of it, um, it's basically about this American football coach who goes over to London to coach a Premier League soccer team. It's a fictional one, Richmond AFC. And one of the main characters in the show is this guy named Sam Obisanya, and he's a Nigerian who, who's a player on the team. And at one point, <laughs> Dory's actually covering her ears. <laughs> it's not that big of a spoiler, spoiler. It's like a one episode, you know, monster of the week thing. Um, so at one point, Sam gets the opportunity to basically be in a photo shoot, like an ad for the, the main sponsor of the team, Dubai Air. Uh, and he's, you know, after it, he's proudly sharing the photos with his father back in Nigeria, texts them to them. And his father responds really angry and really disappointed and tells him that Dubai Air is owned by this parent company that is wrecking havoc environmentally on Nigeria. And he's like, I'm ashamed to see you associated with that. And it's this moment of just truth and which way is Sam going to go? Like, will he prioritize his home country and its well-being? Or will he prioritize his own well-being and success? And he ends up deciding to withdraw from the ad campaign. 
And, and before uh, the next game in the locker room, Sam grabs some black tape and just covers up you know, Dubai airs like right here, and he just covers it up. And then another player looks at you and he's like, he looks at him and he's like, Wait, what are you doing? Like, is Dubai Air not paying you enough? And Sam responds, no, Dubai Air is owned by a horrible company, one that has turned the southern coast of Nigeria, my home, into a hellish, fiery swamp. I can no longer wear their name on my chest. And his two Nigerian uh, friends who are also on the team, they, they respond as well by taping over their chests. And then Sam turns around to everyone else and he, he says, I, I don't, listen guys, I don't expect you guys to do this, but I hope you understand why we as Nigerians have to do this. And Jamie Tart, uh, one of the most disliked members on the team, he stands up and he just says, throw me the tape. And Sam is just, they had a kind of tense relationship. And Sam looks at Jamie and he's like, like, what do you think you're doing? And Jamie responds, we're a team, aren't we? We have to wear the same uniform. And the next scene cuts to the whole team. They're standing out together in the field. And they take off their jackets. And they reveal that all of them have walked out Dubai Air uh, with black tape. It's this really beautiful scene. It'll, it'll still be good when you watch it, Dory. It, it gets me every single time. If Sam had just gone out there on his own with his black tape on his chest, it, it, it would have been, you know, in some ways impressive, but, but not, not nearly as compelling. And even more realistically, like, Sam probably would have been fired. And yet the whole team, when they're standing together, it is really moving, and it's also really hard to fire an entire team. And even, even the owner of the team gains the courage to just... The CEO of the company is calling her frantically, trying to do something about it, and she just sends it straight to voicemail. The only way we can stand firm, unfrightened against the evil in the kingdoms of this world, not overtaken by the evil and sin within our own hearts, is by standing together. And what's even more moving about that episode is that you know, they end up losing the match. And you'd think you'd like go in the locker room uh, and you're going to see this despondent team. And yet they open the door and like everybody has a beer in their hand and they're all just celebrating what happened, celebrating Sam, celebrating the fact that they stood together for what was right. The beauty of standing together for what is right, for truth, was far greater than the suffering of losing the game. And the same is true for the Christian life. You will find far more freedom and joy in standing for what is true and beautiful and good with others than you will in just trying to win the world's games on the world's terms. But the problem is, uh, external opposition is often not the only issue we face. Uh, For some, it's not even the main issue And as we look at the rest of this section, verses uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul makes a turn from thinking about opponents on the outside to opponents on the inside. Paul is well aware that often the problem with the church is not what's going on out there, but it is what is going on inside. And so this brings us to our second point, humility in the face of internal opposition. 
We need to stand firm in one mind and one spirit to, to face the opposition of the world. But we also need to stand firm in one mind to face the opposition that arises within the Christian community, the conflicts that come up almost every week from our own selfish hearts. And Paul really drives that home. He, by, I don't know if you noticed in verse 127 and then here in chapter 2, verse 2, he uses the same language. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. And then in 2-2, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And going back again to Ted Lasso. This is not another spoiler, don't worry. It's a general statement. <laughs> um, the, biggest op- the biggest obstacle through that whole show like, really isn't the opposing team's. It's Richmond AFC itself. It's their dysfunction. What causes them to lose so badly is not how awesome the opposing team is necessarily every time, but it's the weakness of their own team and their disunity. And isn't that the case with Christians in your experience? Hey, there's a joke I've heard a couple times uh, that this man was stranded on an island. And he was there for like five years. And one day this boat just is passing by and sees him there. And they're going to go rescue him and pick him up. And when they get there, they see three huts on the beach. And they're like, hey, go get the other guys and like, let's get on the boat and get out of here. And the stranded guy's like, oh, it's just me here. And he's like, well, why, why do you have three huts And he says, well, one's where I live, one's where I go to church, and one's where I used to go to church. Why why is that funny? Maybe it's not that funny. It's kind of a dad joke. It's funny because that is the church today. That is our hearts. There's something that resonates. We see that so often Christians are not of one spirit. And one mind. We, we make Christianity into this contest. We want our group, our church, to have the biggest numbers. We want our theology to be the most correct. We want our music to be the most energetic and relevant. We, we're rivals more than family or citizens of the same country. And we forget we're on the same team. When we act out of rivalry and conceit, we become guarded. Maybe you've experienced this at Wofford. And we become increasingly isolated. We're afraid to admit things like, I don't really know how to pray or really want to pray. I don't really know how to read the Bible or want to read it. Uh, actually, I'm really caught up in sexual sin. I'm, I'm really caught up in drugs and alcohol. I'm really caught up in my own anxiety and depression. And we keep that all to ourselves. Because we wouldn't want someone else to see weakness in us. And then we crumble in the face of the opposition of the world. We're so worn out from protecting ourselves from one another that we don't even have any strength left to stand against our own sin and the temptations of the devil and of the world. And so if, if, if you're a Christian here tonight, or actually if you're not a Christian here tonight, Um, I can guess one of the reasons uh, you are hesitant about the Christian faith or you just outright just want nothing to do with it is because you have seen 
so much of this up close. You, you have seen Christians not standing firm together, being of the same mind and having the same love, but backstabbing one another and talking behind one another's backs and, and, and arguing about things that you're like, why does this, does this really matter? And you ask yourself, why, why in the world would I want to be a part of that? If that's you this evening, maybe you're, you're a Christian and that's where you are. I want to say, I'm really sorry that's been your experience. And Jesus himself would mourn with you. That, that is not what Jesus has designed or called his church to be. That is not a behavior that could, corresponds to the beauty and the weightiness of the gospel of Christ. But I also want to say to Christians who, who are concerned about people that want nothing to do with Christianity, that the biggest apologetic for Christianity is not some super awesome, well-crafted philosophical argument out there. But it's a community that is standing together, contending for the gospel in love and humility. But the question is, how does this, how does this happen? How, how can we actually be unified in humility and contend together for the gospel? Um, well, Paul doesn't give us all the answers, but he does tell us one thing that is really necessary. He doesn't just tell us, hey, just get along. He knows we're far too broken for our mere willpower to do the trick. And so if you notice, he gives a condition for this call to unity at the beginning of chapter two in verses one, um, or yeah, just verse one. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. What, what, why is he listening off all these things? What, what is this? These are signs of spiritual life. These are signs that Jesus is at work in us. Do you find encouragement and comfort in Jesus, in the gospel, in his love for you? You, you have the resources then to be one with other Christians. Like connection to Jesus is all we need. The heavenly citizenship and the manner of life that, that flows from it, that we're called to, is possible because King Jesus, the king of the new Jerusalem, came first as an ambassador to open up the way for us to join this new kingdom. And so if we're finding ourselves disunified, if we're finding ourselves grumbling and being at, at odds with one another, we need to go back to King Jesus. We need to ask him to work in our hearts to subdue the sin there, to free us to love others. I think Paul uh, would want us to see as well, if you think about Jesus, what did he do? He, he did stand alone. And, and the kingdoms of the world and all its opposition was thrown on him on the cross and he was crushed and he was the worthy one he was the only one who lived a life worthy of the manner of the gospel and he did all that so it might actually be possible for just a beginning of that just a mustard seed of that to get rooted in our life and begin to grow into this beautiful 
thing. If you're united to Christ by faith, you can step out there. And you can put the tape over your chest. And you can say no to the world. And say no to your own sinful flesh. Because Jesus already stepped out there. He's already out there waiting for you to join him. And even more, the spirit of Jesus is at work bringing others. So that when you get out there, when you're on the field and everyone takes off the jersey, you're going to find that there are actually so many other people that are wanting to do the exact same thing. Let me close us in prayer. Father, we uh, ask uh, that you might make these things realities in our lives, um, that you might make us worthy uh, to live worthily of the gospel of Christ, that we might see that we are citizens of the new heavens and the new earth, of the heavenly Jerusalem, and that would change everything about our lives, that it would strengthen us uh, to, to, to fight our sin and to say no to the temptations around us, but it would strengthen us as well uh, in unity. It would bring us closer together. We pray you would help us uh, to hunger for this, to practice this, that you would fill our hearts through your spirit with humbleness and gentleness and kindness and love. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, stand and sing our last song. Build my life. There it is.